podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Heart and Hand, the Rangers podcast, the podcast that also never hides. This week on Heart and Hand, nearly perfect in Porto, but murder against Motherwell. So welcome to Heart and Hand, the Rangers podcast. My name is David Edgar, I'm your host as always. And joining me this week is our tactics squad himself, Mr Moaning Every Week. He's not on the flagship. Well, here he is. It's Adam Thornton. David, hello. How are you doing? I, I'm delighted to talk to you, Adam, as always. You can geek me right up with your geek army. <laughs> I'll try my best. I'll try my best. Uh, that don't. If you disagree with anything Adam says, folks, you will be statted into oblivion. He does. He, he calls his geek army I think you just bang a tactics board together and uh, they're summoned. It's like Masters of the Universe, there's one. Yeah, it's those pesky facts getting in the way of people's opinions. They can't. Well, we will come to that because those of you long term listeners will know that Adam is uh, the president and founding member and owner operator of the James Tavernier Sweet Prince Loyal. So uh, it will be interesting when we come to discuss that. But let's kick off with something positive, Adam. That was as good an away performance from Rangers in Europe as I've seen in forever because I grew up in the 80s, you know, in the, in the 90s, where good Rangers sides, really good Rangers sides, would treat the ball in Europe like it was a Celtic fan having a, a letter to come in for an interview at the job centre. And that Rangers team the other night, after a 20-minute spell where it was a bit like that. They kept the ball. They moved it very quickly. They were playing lovely one-touch stuff. It was a joy to watch. And they just did not look out of their depth against a really good side. And that, I think, is how they went top of the Portuguese league at the weekend. They were last eight in the Champions League last year and last 16 the year before. And Marega, they've got a striker that people are talking about paying 70, 80 million for. And I thought Rangers, in the second half especially, looked like the better side. Yeah, I think second half a lot more than the first, but it's interesting, I completely agree. The first 20, 25 minutes, I thought we were pretty poor. We couldn't really get much going, but it's kind of strange. The goal for them seemed to just absolutely galvanise us, and from that point on, um, up until the last minute or two, I think we looked like the team who would who would go on and win it. Um, you're right, I think we can... We can look at we can look at it and say they they're top of the league in Portugal. They're pretty much always going to be, I guess, aren't they? And the Champions League quality. Um, but we did not look like a team who two years ago hadn't played in Europe for for seven years. We looked like a team who were pretty comfortable um, and were dominating this, as you say, Champions League team for the majority of the game. Gerard seems very very adept at European performances. And in a way, it's reminiscent to me of uh, Rafa Benitez, of course, who he played under and says is is one of the managers who had the biggest influence in his career, that he was tremendous at setting up a team for an individual match. And that's why they had that success in European competition. Yeah, I think I think he, he does seem to be. It's interesting, you wouldn't normally associate Gerard with, with a tactical battle. Um, obviously, Michael Beale probably helps quite a bit there, but I think he does relish the, the European stage as he as he did when he was a player. Um, maybe the monotony of, of 70 
percent possession every week uh, grates on him a little bit, but he seems to come alive in the, the European stage. Um, that's that underdog thing as well, David. I think the team that we've got, we're, we're kind of set up to to attack teams on the break and, and mm. counter them. We're not too great at, at going and controlling possession, although we did that very well on Thursday night. It, it's kind of, I think it's one of those, it, it plays to our strengths and it lets them get maybe a bit of a siege mentality in the players and we know that he can uh, he can G the players up for, for one-off performances quite regularly, ironically. You spoke there about something that I've found interesting, but also a slight worry, and that is the goal galvanised them. You could say the same yesterday, you could say the same against Livingston. You, you know, I could pick a few occasions that this has happened. And look, I'm glad it does. I'm glad that, you know, they react well to going behind. But And it's rare, I should point out, it's rare that the Rangers go behind under Gerrard. But... It is a worry that it seems in some matches to take that before the team kind of come out a little bit. And again against Motherwell, again against Porto, more forgivably I would say against Porto because of who they were and where they were. But they do sometimes, well, quite often, come out the traps quite slowly. And look, I know it's not as easy as just saying, right lads, let's come out the traps quickly today, but it's a recurring issue. It definitely is, and I think if you could if you could figure it out, you'd be you'd be worth a, a lot of money. That's um, true. <laughs> I think the manager, I don't doubt the manager doesn't say, guys, can you just go out there and, and misplace a couple of passes and, and let Mullerwell <laughs> think let Mullerwell think they're in a game, but then just run away in the second half. I don't think he does it that way. I'm sure he's he's one to one hundred, and he wants them out starting game sharp and getting the goal within ten minutes, getting the crowd on our side. But I think that's kind of one of the beautiful things about football, isn't it? You can do everything, you can plan to the, the nth degree, but as soon as you go over the, the white line, really anything, I guess, can happen conceivably. Yeah, I mean, I've spoken to ex-pros about this. Um, we've we've been fortunate enough at Heartland to do several live shows with legendary Rangers, and I've spoken to them and said, you know, why does this happen? And they all say, I don't know. Like, he says, you know, like my, my best friend Kevin Thompson, he says that... We will, you know, there are days you just go out and it's like that, you know, everybody's on and you're flying out of tackles, you're winning the ball and you're just, yeah, we're going to win. And then there are days you just can't get anything going. And he said, you can have been feeling great in the warm-up, you know? You could have had a great uh, week's training, you could come off a, a, a great result. And uh, it's just one of these, as you say, one of these quirks of human nature that it can sometimes take a wee while to, to light the spark. It was probably as close to a Rangers first team with the, the surprise inclusion of Brandon Barker, who I think was put in to do a very specific shift rather than for any attacking qualities, um, which he did. Uh, he did well for 75 minutes, ran himself into the ground, possibly to his detriment, as we found out on Sunday. But uh, I think the one of the things that's been suggested this week, Adam, there was a hell of a drop-off in performance um, between Thursday and Sunday. And that, that happens. It happens a lot. Check the results of teams who play in the... The Europa League folks, they, there is a struggle the, the the next Sunday for a lot of them. But Rangers made changes to try and freshen up the side. Ryan Jack um, went out of the side, as did Alfredo Morelos, who gave another, I thought, striking masterclass uh, in Portugal. I thought he was just sublime, genuinely brilliant. And, and he's reaching new levels almost monthly now and just continues to develop uh, into a genuinely top-class striker. Uh, put it this way, if you were told before the match that there's one of Europe's most hotly rated strikers who people are going to pay £70 million for, you wouldn't have thought it was Marega by the end of that match. But Rangers left him on the bench, they left Jack on the bench, they left Kent on the bench, who's probably 
well, undoubtedly will be one of our, our best players, and Jackie Morelos have been alongside Stephen Davis, I would say, our best players this season. There is uh, an argument going on, I've seen on social media and various forums, uh, fans saying, look, you can leave out one of them, maybe two, but you can't leave all three out at once. And the evidence yesterday did seem to suggest that Adam, his Rangers were flat and sluggish. Yeah, um, I, I agree with that. I think the the four changes that we made were probably four changes that, that we needed to make for, for varying degrees. Um, I would say Jack and Kent, um, the manager himself, said they, they played too long almost they, on, on they Thursday night. They managed at the moment because of recurring injuries. Yeah, and then I think Morelos, I, I don't think Morelos needs a, a rest at all, ever. Um, I, I think he's an absolute freak of nature, but it's more well, the fact is, that... Yeah, is it more to give JD a game? Yeah, I think I think that's that way, which... You can't really say that that's been that that's an incorrect move so far. He's not really done anything, um, with the exception of the the Celtic game, I guess, that you would really say Morelos should have started X game over him. Um, so I can kind of agree on that. I just don't, um, I don't like too many changes. I think that was four for Thursday night and then four again for Sunday. I think that's maybe verging on too many for me. I think two or three should be fine. Um, I get the demands physically for the the whole Thursday Sunday thing, but. Um, how much different is it really to, to Wednesday, Saturday type stuff? I think we overplay it slightly. Um, I, I get it if we're away in Porto and then we're having to go see up to Aberdeen yesterday, then you're effectively losing um, another 12 hours on, on a team that might be at home on Thursday and at home on Sunday. So I kind of understand it that way, but I think in general, um, I'd like to see us just get a settled attacking um Lineup the back five is just kind of there or thereabouts now. Helander, Katic, Edmondson, nothing really impacts in terms of which one of them plays at the minute. The other four are pretty much set in stone, um, as far as everybody should be concerned. Um, it's the, the kind of six in front of that that seems to change all the time. Um, we've seen a few games this season that even changing in game. It's one of these idiosyncrasies that, that I have, David, that I hate when all three forwards get changed in a game because to me it just seems like an absolute failure that you've put all three forwards on and then you need to sub them all off. I know it's probably deeper than that, but I think we do tend to to switch about. Um, and when we switch about and, and bring subs on, it tends to just be like-for-like like stuff that we do. It's not as if we're, we're trying a new formation or we're trying something different. We just tend to swap a player for another player. Um, I think we maybe could do we just settling down a little bit um, and seeing how a, a settled 11 would, would take us for the next couple of weeks. Now, a lot was made in the summer about squad depth, and I actually do think we've got a deep squad. Uh, I think we've got good players. They're just not playing well. That That's a different thing to not having anybody, and I think that people have been a wee bit too quick to, to chuck players out as being options. But I cannot sit here and say that Joe Aribo or Scott Arfield, both of whom I think a month ago, would have been considered certain starters. That's the first big game Thursday night. I can remember the gaffer leaving Scott Arfield out of when he, you know, when he's had the choice, uh, and it was obviously due to his, his poor performance. I was going to say at Tynecastle, but he's not been great all season. Um, Joe Aribo again came in, and look, these are these are two guys who were, I think, first team starters who have played their way out of the side, and then yesterday were given an opportunity and really didn't take it. And we were very lucky to have Steve Davis playing the way he's playing at the moment because for about 60 minutes, he was our midfield. He was. Um, I was <clears throat> I was quite excited about this midfield. Um, when the, the On paper, found... it should work at home, especially because it's not the two 
defensive players. It's two attacking guys who want to get on the ball. But Adam, there were times, especially at first half, where the, the three of them are in our half, and only one of them should be, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think that's where I struggle with with the, the whole midfield three setup that we have. It seems like we play this midfield three in the same way, regardless of personnel. If Kamara's playing, it doesn't matter. Him and Aribo are, are tasked with the same job. Now, that's not right for me, because they're completely different players. Joe Aribo should not be doing what what Glenn Kamara does. They're, they're totally different players. Joe Aribo should be playing a lot further forward than that midfield three. It feels like we've got defined roles. We've got Davis sitting there as the passer, and then the other two are ahead of him, um, and they're mostly link players or they're trying to cover out for the wide players. They're not really players that are going to move forward offensively and it feels like even when we do mix it up and we play, like as you said yesterday, we play that midfield three which on paper should be full of quick, incisive passing, running, hopefully some end product. I don't know whether it just doesn't quite materialise. I think we, we try to almost square peg round hole it um, in terms of what the manager wants that three to do versus the actual players on the park. Yeah, it's uh, that's a, a very good point because I'm not quite sure what Aribo is supposed to be doing at the moment, and I'm not sure he has either. Uh, he definitely played further forward in the second half, clearly yep. under instruction to do so, but he was dropping far, far too deep yesterday. And in the first half, Rangers, I thought, resorted to doing that thing that I hate, which is playing to a striker who's not there. They were playing to Alfredo Morelos yesterday because they were getting the ball, playing in front of Motherwell, and then going down the wings and firing in crosses, which Motherwell's defenders were lapping up. And it was no surprise that our goal came from driving through the driving through the middle. Uh, I, because to me, against these sides, you've got to do it. Look, Adam, you're our tactics guy, and I want you to maybe explain a slight change that even I've noticed, uh, and I'm certainly no tactical guru, but even I've noticed recently, which is rather than the, the low block, um, men behind the ball, as my generation would call it, teams this season, recently especially, are actually pressing us high up the field. And you would notice that yesterday when Rangers were playing the ball at the back, Motherwell had two guys up front who they'd played on the wings to come in, uh, and they would lead. The, 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 there was none of this eleven men in in our half kind of thing. They were pushing right up on us, and it's presenting a different a different problem for us. We don't often um, talk talk about the the domestic opposition in in glowing terms. Uh, it's normally how we've lost the game or we've not won the game, which I, I think is uh, I think is fair because it's a Rangers podcast, obviously. But yeah, you're right. To be fair to Motherwell, they they came with a decent game plan. Um, I think they've been four at the back for most of the season, and they switched up to a three-five-two, which I think was a bit of a shock. Um, they kept their two forwards up there, pressing, like you said, um, and they tried to force our play into the middle of the park as, as much as they could, um, where they had three midfielders sitting on our three midfielders, kind of similar to what Hearts did, and just completely swarmed that area um, and made it a bit of a battleground. Um, they've turned themselves into a bit of a passing team recently, David, which was a bit of a major shift from last season's team mm. um, and we normally do very well against teams like that that want to come out and, and play football we can tend to just pick them off and pick them apart but again they switched that back up yesterday and they went a bit more direct than, than they had been before and it, it, it nearly paid off for them to be fair but you're right teams are now seeing that they can come out um, and press us they, they need to have the skills for it and they need to have a, a decent manager and a decent tactical structure behind them um, I'm not sure a team bereft of confidence at the bottom of the league could come and do what Mullerwell did yesterday but the fact that they're having a decent start to the season I think they're are they now in fourth probably yeah, in fourth now I think after uh, in, yeah. 
after the Rune fixture. I think that gives them a bit of confidence uh, and they want to come out and, and almost take it like the free hit that it kind of is because unless there's a massive downturn in form, it doesn't really matter what results they get at Ibrox this season. They're pretty much safe from relegation, certainly, but I mean, you'd imagine they'll be close to the top six as well. So they're almost just thinking we'll just come in and have a go and see what happens. Yeah, and they nearly got there. I mean, the goal when it came was... Uh poor from our point of view. There weren't any reeking mistakes, but there were errors, um, points of failure, I think coaches call it, which is, first of all, we don't win the initial ball, Tav. Um, It's a 50-50. It's not a a glaring error, but it's a disappointment. Then Hellander turns his back, um, which is never good on the ball and can't see what's happening. And to be fair, Devante Cole, um, linked with us under Warburton, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. Devante yep. Cole, he does take it early and that catches out. Alan McGregor, who I'm sure will still be disappointed that it was it was right at him, really, uh, and he allowed it to, to creep under him. So it wasn't, you know, a horrific error goal that we've witnessed recently, but it, there were still ways of dealing with it. And I think it was a collective failure of three of the back four. Yeah, I thought when when the ball lands after his initial flick in the box, and the ball lands at his fleet. I thought it's a it's a very very smart finish. Um, it's just an absolute freak when Hellander turns his back in the ball and then it just comes off him and lands quite perfectly for him. That these are the type of things that that tend to happen to us more often than not. But you're right. There's there's a couple of points of failure um, there. Tav is is excellent in the air and those kind of cross field balls, but he just gets uh, he gets caught under it. Um, and possibly I think this is maybe verging on. Harsh, but possibly McGregor could have got down a little bit earlier. But I think just the the fact that it happened so quickly and it was a snapshot, um, maybe just catches them slightly unawares. But I don't think we can really blame him for it. No, and that's what I mean. I don't think you can say that you had a howler there. I think all three will feel they could have done slightly better if they had their time again. But I don't think it was one of those glaringly horrific goals that uh, we've seen a couple of this season. But uh, Rangers did drag ourselves back into it. Now, Adam, um, uh, I'm wary of going into this here because you you get very aggressive about this. But we uh, were awarded a penalty, which was won by James Tavernier. After it must be said, two stonewall uh, handball penalties we didn't get, we were then given one that might be termed soft. A little bit of the shit I fucked up earlier here from that ref, Andrew Dallas. Oh, yeah, I think so. I think the first two... Definitely are. Uh, the first one by the new rules, I think, is is definitely handball. The ball's the hands at his side, but it clearly hits his hand in the box. That's fair enough. The second one is a is a stone waller, and the third one is, I guess, if you're being kind to us, you could call it a body check. But I think Tav is going past them. The ball's past the midfielder, possibly going out of play. Um, he definitely overheard it. He just kind of falls over him. I think he's slightly cute there, but. Um, so I know where you're going with this one, David. I was surprised to see him step up to take it. I think as a as a playing squad uh, and possibly as a management team, we need to manage that a bit better. Um, I don't think he should be dropped from the team for the performances and the mistakes that he's made. But on the field, we could take him out of the firing line a little bit. Um, in these situations, I think that's, that's poor management from everybody. I think his teammates should be stepping up and saying, you've missed at that stage two of your last four penalties and, and four in this calendar year. You've not been playing very well. Um, can we just um, let the, Can we just <laughs> let one of the best Premier League strikers in, in modern history hit the hit the ball for us in this particular crucial moment? I think we just need to to manage that a bit better. On the flip side of that, um, that's a display of leadership, I guess, that people say he doesn't have. Someone who wants to step up doesn't hide 
wins the penalty, wants to take the penalty, you can't really blame him from that side. But I think just in the context of the last two or three weeks that he's had, I think it might have been better that someone else hit it. I'll take you back to December 2001, Ronald De Boer, part of the Prance, PSG, um, trying to exercise a ghost from his career, a uh, Dutch penalty shootout. He takes a penalty, never looks confident, and he misses. Luckily, it didn't cost us that night. I'm always wary of guys trying to, as I say, exercise their, their own demons at that moment, and I agree with you. It's for the good of the team. It, that should have been given to someone else because the risk-reward factor. And also that if, you know, if we get another penalty and it's 3-0, yep, yeah, Tav, on you go. This is your chance, you know, to, to get back into the groove. He did score against Aberdeen um, from the spot. It's a tough one, but he's 50-50 at the moment for whatever reason. And I think when you've got a guy who's going through a spell like that, you take him off for a bit and you hand it to Defoe, you hand it to Morelos, and if it doesn't go well for them, Tav comes back into the reckoning. But the issue was everyone in that stadium was kind of talking to the person next to them going, oh, Tav, you better score this or the reaction's going to be negative. And that added a free saw, and you could feel it in the air yesterday. Of course, he misses, and the place went ballistic. Now, there wasn't booing. People have said that, that, that Tav was booed by his own supporters. There maybe was, you know, the odd individual, which you will get in a crowd of 50,000. You will get the odd half-cut person who thinks it's acceptable to boo your own player. But the boom was from the Motherwell fans because they thought he dived. Um, so that was where the significant booing came from. It wasn't from the Rangers support. So let's just, you know, put that one to bed straight away. But there was definitely an awful lot of, for fuck's sake, Tavs um, going on there and a fair bit of anger displayed towards him afterwards, which is, I think, unfair. But it because, you know, he'd, he'd be missing penalties because we were 1-0 down. Uh, and Adam's right, you take him at the firing line, you don't put him in that situation because the the fact if he misses it, it just adds to the charge sheet at a time where he doesn't really need it. And the manager spoke afterwards about supporting Tav to get him through this, this wee dip in front of this bad spell. Well, here's your chance to do it, Gaffer. You know, you, you can help out here. You can take him out of that because there was this feeling, as I say, among the, the fans, if he misses us, and of course he does. But fair play to, to Rangers. We then got back into it with that rarest of things, a Stephen Davis shot, um, beaten away by the goalkeeper, Jermaine Defoe. Adam, what a finish. Yeah, it was a terrific finish. Um, I, I thought he was offside. Um, so did I. When, when it initially went in, because it was just, I actually thought he was just offside and just hitting the ball into the net. Um, it was just uh, ridiculous. Um, well, he looked at the linesman, which is always a Instantly, instantly looked at the linesman. Yeah, it was just absolutely lethal. It was bang in form. Just on that, on that tab thing, David, that exercise and the, the demons thing is, is quite interesting. I, I don't agree with that with penalties either because it's it's almost like being a gambler and, and chasing your losses. Kind that's of exactly no, what it is. That's no good's going to come. No good's going to come of it. Um, he's had a lot of kicks in the last couple of weeks. Getting taken off the penalties is not going to be um, any worse than than conceding the goals that he's he's conceded. So I think um, I think you're right. It just becomes the pressure just ramps up unnecessarily um, at that point. But yeah. Jimmy it's Defoe. also it's also the, the the thing right when people say stripping of the cap and say I, I I'm never a fan of that because it just humiliates the player that's you know he's a person but there's a difference between I'm taking this off you because you have you know you've failed at this at this level listen to the interview we did with Lorenzo Amoruso folks say you're how it can affect somebody but 
when you miss penalties, that's just a kind of cause and effect, doesn't it? That happens to everyone. Um, you know, if Luis Suarez misses, you know, five out of seven penalties, he doesn't hit the penalty. It, that I don't think a player, if a player does say, oh, that humiliated me, that's on him. Whereas I think taking the captaincy off him is bigger and is different. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think you're, you're right. Having a break from penalties for a couple of weeks, a couple of months is is fine, just to kind of make people forget about it almost. But yeah, I think that was that was poorly managed. But to, I mean, you seen Defoe's finish for the for the goal. I think it's safe to say he would have stuck away the penalty given the the, the lethality of that. Oh, he would have. <laughs> it's just a fact. He absolutely would have. Um, well, not a fact, but it's a strong supposition before people uh, before people at me on that one. But uh, we got in at one each, and I think we were quite happy with that. Brandon Barker went off um, in in the first half. Uh, He's he's not had these troubles to seek with injury. On came Ryan Kent, another guy who's uh, had issues this season. Um, Rangers in the second half, I thought were better. Um, and I've watched the game back this morning. You know, without the emotion, we were better. We we were dominant. We we didn't let Motherwell many chance. We had one chance in the second half. Um, and apart from that, Rangers were in it. Could have had a, a couple of goals. Jermaine Defoe winning a header against six foot four, the magnificently named um, Bevis Mugabe. Yeah, you can't argue with that, Adam. You I mean, can. Davis Mugabe, how how can you? You can. It's impossible. I don't think you. I don't think you'd be allowed to. No, because do you know what his middle names are as well? Because I looked this up. <laughs> no. Christopher Catalzo. That's great. Terrific. Although, if I was called Mugabe, you'd sneak in a Robert somewhere. If you're going to go with like three names, anyway. Maybe, but he's maybe, a bit. Maybe even a Bobby or something. Yeah, just a, <laughs> a Bobby yeah. Mugabe. But he's uh he's a bit six foot nine. And there's wee Jermaine Defoe out jumping him for a header, which I thought was immense. Um, Philip Hellander said one really good header actually that he was very unlucky to seek over the bar. Uh, Joe Rebo had a chance. Um, and then when it came, uh, Tav had hit a free kick. It wasn't a bad effort. I don't think it was ever going in, but it wasn't a bad effort from him. Uh, and it wasn't. It didn't suit. Barisic. Although I don't get Adam, uh, look why Barisic wasn't even there at the free kick to, to kind of, you know, do the thing of of the keeper. Is it going right? Is it going left? Um, the keeper was able to stand where a right footer would hit it. I, I, I don't quite get why you don't even have a left footed player over at free kick. It, it seems fairly standard. Yeah, I would say so. Even like you said, just for a decoy to give them something else to think about um, when there's just one person there that's kind of only going to go one way, isn't it? And it was over It was over the far side, wasn't it? Over at the, the Sandy Jardin side, so it's probably... Yeah. It, it did probably suit a right-footed player, but, you know, Tav stepped up again and there were some grumbles around me again about, oh, he wants to do everything, he wants to do everything, which we've seen before, actually. It reminded me of Barry Ferguson in his later stages at Rangers, but then we got a corner. Tav ran over to take it, was applauded, incidentally. Um, I sat in that corner. Um... Tav ran over to take it, delivers a beauty, and Philip Hellander, the old cliche alert, Adam, but he just wanted it more, and uh, really good header, under a lot of pressure. It was a terrific header, I think, I don't think it would have been given as a penalty, but when you watch it back, it's pretty clearly a penalty, because, is it Mugabe again? He's uh, says, yes, he he's holding him down, and, and there's, a, there's a great still of, uh, of Hellander on the floor, um, you can see his face in absolute pain when Mugabe lands on top of him, but obviously he, reco- he recovers to... 
um, to go away and celebrate. That was a that was a big couple of games for Hellander. I think we've not spoken about it yet, but he was outstanding um, on Thursday night uh, against Porto. I thought he was terrific, and that's both big European games that we've needed him. Um, Porto and Feyenoord, uh, I think he's been sensational, um, and getting his first goal as well to win as a game will, will help him no ends too. I thought those he's been um, certainly one of the best two players in those two games. I did think that, uh, that Hellander really is now beginning to show what he's about. And again, a couple of moments yesterday, I don't think we give players time to adapt to the unique league that is Scotland. And nobody kids themselves about the level of quality in Scotland. But again, playing for Rangers is different for playing for Motherwell or St. Johnson or whatever. You will face a higher level every week because teams give off their best when they play us. And it takes a little while to get used to it. But... <laughs> we, I'm a I think, great believer that quality comes through. Yeah, I, I think we just we maybe underestimate the the weight of expectation um, that we put on players. I know every player that plays for every team who's competing at the top of leagues um, has a lot of expectation. We've had it for as long as we've been we've been Rangers, but um, just now there's a huge weight of expectation and a huge amount of fatigue. I think everybody's feeling it a little bit, aren't they? Um, players, managers, fans. I think we've packed a lot of mental strain and thought into these first 23-25 games it, it feels like a full season's worth to be honest and we're, we're still in October I think everybody's just very very highly strung due to this massive expectation and the desire to win the league and I think new players coming in um, it can take them a bit of time to get used to it especially in such a crucial position like, like centre half but he's He's done very well considering every small decision, every misplaced pass is analysed to the millionth degree. Um, he's done very well. And I think we as fans could maybe just take a step back sometimes and think maybe a 2-1 win at home to the third place team after such a good performance away to a Champions League team on Thursday night is actually OK. Um, who kind of cares how we, we got the win yesterday, really, when we just get the win? That's that's kind of all we, we really want to do at this stage of the season. It's difficult in the heat of the game, and David Amp, you know, I'm one of the worst for it. Um, but I think something... He is. We... <laughs> Folks, don't, don't be fooled by this Cam Rational Adam that you're oh, no, I, I am, but I think sometimes we do just need to take a breath and remember that this is supposed to be enjoyable. Um, I was actually sitting at work on Friday morning pretty disappointed that we didn't win the Porto game, which shows how far we've come. But I do think we need to just learn to try and enjoy certain things as well while they're happening and, and give players the benefit of the doubt um, who are just coming to this unique little league and the unique pressures that we've got and this eight, nine-year wait that we've had for a, for a league title, it could break many people. Um, and I think anybody that gets through and, and becomes a, a decent to, to good player um, deserves a, a huge amount of success. Yeah, the second half, uh, the atmosphere was fraught. And it's going to be, you know, we're chasing a game. Celtic had won earlier. Um, incidentally, Aberdeen, well done. Um, that was yeah. the most predict. The only thing that shocked me about that was that people were surprised by, it. and I saw people before the game saying, "You know, they they'll drop points there today." I was like, "Against the sheep? Are you winding me up?" Um, but ten million for Scott McKenna. Um, but uh, moving on, um, there there was that you know we need and we did we absolutely we cannot drop points at home. We just can't because the the reality is that you will occasionally drop points away from home a la Hearts a la Celtic at Livingston and uh, at Hibs so you've got to win at home just that simple um, but some of the, the stuff that you hear and again it is usually isolated one guy a couple of guys it's, it's, it's not the majority but 
you know, squeakiest wheel shouts the loudest, all that kind of, or gets the most grease, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I mentioned yesterday on our post-match that when Ojo came on, and admittedly there was, you know, some general disbelief that it was Ojo and not, Alf, uh, not Alfie, but Ojo came on and a, a guy behind me leapt up um, and screamed at the top of his lungs, uh, for fuck's sake, Gerard, he's a fucking clown. Now, I understand frustration boiling over when a player isn't having a good game, but when he hasn't kicked the fucking ball yet, maybe we need to put ourselves under the microscope there. Maybe we need to take a wee step back and say, how is this going to help? You know, what is this going to achieve? Um, me lambasting the player, and he can hear because it was the main stand, um, is that going to create the environment that will allow him to flourish? No, I... Don't particularly, I feel a little bit for Ojo, to be honest. Um, I feel like I'm almost a de facto cheerleader for him due to the, the flack that, that others seem to give him. I, I don't think he has performed well um, very very regularly. Um, I think, in fact, since Feyenoord, he's been pretty terrible in, in most of the games, although he was all right when he came on yesterday. Um, but I think it's just his kind of lackadaisical approach or, or just that type of guy he is. He seems very laid back and doesn't seem to want to put the hard yards in that, that fans don't like. But over those last 10 games, outside of the Feyenoord game, David, that literally though, that's the only thing he's done um, is score against Feyenoord. He's got no other goals, no other assists. He's not even had a second assist, if you want to call it, the pass that the pass that goes to the assist. Um, he's not really doing very much in terms of output. Um, but the key thing for me is he's not alone. Um, there are other players in the team that are kind of contributing not very much either. Um, you look at Arfield, you look at Aribo. Um, now, that's not to say that Ojo's been excellent all season. He absolutely hasn't. But what does it say about the other guys? Um, I think we're a little harsh on some players. Uh, and other players, for whatever reason, seem to get off scot-free, pun intended. Is it the credit in the bank thing? Well, it could be, but then you look at Tav and who has more credit in the bank? Who who should have more credit in the bank than him? Uh, and and there's howling and wailing. I'm not really sure what it is. You're well, right. Yeah, yeah, and you look at Katic, who you know has, has had good games, but is valued ahead of players who could turn and say, "Well, I've got you know five times the amount of good games that he has." Yeah, I don't know what they. I don't know how they. Again, you'd be a millionaire if you could figure out um, what makes fans like players and just put put them all on your team. But um, I think the whole reason for me kind of wanting to wait and see Ojo is I don't see any viable alternatives at, at this moment in time. Kent, fair enough when he's when he's coming back in. Um, that's absolutely valid. But other than that, um, Ojo has has done more than Jordan Jones did, albeit in a, a smaller period of time. I think over the course of a season, we'll get more out of Jones than we have out of Ojo, but. It's not Ojo's fault that Jones got himself got himself sent off and got himself injured for six weeks. He's playing. Um, Barker hasn't really set the heather on fire. He, no. The manager doesn't seem to want to play Jamie Murphy. Um, Barker has been in and out with injury, as I said. There, Stewart has has come in and looked very very good in a couple of games, but I don't think he's a guy who's going to come in and change every game every week. Um, so Ojo's played. Uh, quite a lot and he's been okay in patches and he's been really poor in other patches but I just feel like the, the level of criticism is is very very high for him um, and it's almost I would imagine making him withdraw into himself a little bit which is a catch-22 Yeah that, that's always my concern um, that players you know lacking confidence they then do go into his shell and I think there was a great example yesterday Adam where I don't know if, if people have seen this but if you caught the, the EPL um, or the highlights folks or you may have seen on social media uh, the Arsenal captain Granit Xhaka um, was accused of, of hiding during the game and, and when you actually look at the clips that people put together he, he was 
Um, when a teammate would receive the ball near him, he would run deliberately towards uh, an opposition player, you know, to, to make himself marked and to basically say, I don't want the ball, don't give me the ball. Um, and then he was substituted. And of course, you, you'll have seen the footage, folks, where he's going off. He tells the, the crowd uh, to fuck off. He's uh, waving his arms sarcastically, geeing them up, uh, uh, cupping his ear, etc. Took off his shirt, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, it's human nature. It, it's easy to go, well, he's on X amount of pounds a week. He should be able to talk about that. And it is shocking to see a professional footballer not want the ball at, at any level. Yep. But... Uh, you know, I, there's a wee bit of me goes. He, he is a human being, and and when he's being lambasted constantly, and maybe that is something that that Tab's critics should take into account. That he didn't, you know, he's our captain. He's showing for the ball. He wants the ball. He was making mistakes, and he was getting howled at yesterday, but he still kept going, and he ends up delivering the cross for the winner. Um, people accuse him of not having any heart, and that is, uh, or rather, people accuse him of not having any balls. That's bollocks because. Uh, there's a perfect example of what a guy with no testicular fortitude does. They hide. He doesn't. Can you imagine if if they have reacted in the way that Xhaka did? I think there'd still be police cordons around Ibrox. I think oh, yeah. everybody no. would have uh, jumped on to lamp him. I, I think that's right. He, he never hides, um, for better or worse. Um, I've said for years, I feel like he's mistakes come in those split second situations where he's he's too keen to try and force the issue in general. He's always wanting to nick the ball um, and try and start attacks rather than just maybe focusing on nullifying a threat first of all and then playing it safe. He always seems to want to get the ball in transition and get forward as quick as he can. Now that can be a positive when he has nine assists for the season like he does this season, but it can also be a negative when he when he misses, three, goal. misses three penalties and ships three goals in the last 20-odd games. Um but I think when you're visibly showing a confidence, uh, it gets magnified. Um, yeah, it, it's a tough one. I think you can absolutely say that there is no way that he hides at all. But I think, as we've mentioned earlier in the show, I think we need to find ways to manage him within the game. And I think the penalties is a, is a prime example of that. No, I think I think that's legitimate. And I, I do think it would, would do him a favour to, to hand it over to someone else briefly, as, as we discussed earlier. But it was a win, Adam. We we did get through the game. We are levelling points, and we're continuing to deliver decent performances. Now, a criticism I saw levelled uh, at the manager on social media was that he seems to prioritise Europe over the league. And I don't think that, that the majority of fans agree with this. It goes both ways. It's easy to say this when we're doing quite well in Europe, which we are. However, in terms of rotation, I think he slightly over-rotated yesterday, as we as we spoke about. But I don't know the players' fitness, incidentally. And that's something that I think people should should remember. That they've got professionals in there telling them, you know, he can go X amount of time, he can do this and that. And it is down to the minute, incidentally. Uh, the, the red zone and all that stuff. So I don't know that. And therefore, I'm coming at it just really from the outside. But... Um, we did win. <laughs> you know, we, we got a point in Porto and we won yesterday. Therefore, it worked. And I don't quite understand the... I but imagine we didn't get a goal yesterday and we didn't win. Well, you know, more balls there. Um, it's, it's, we did win. The manager is allowed to say, well, you know, we've got two big matches coming up. And this is the problem. Guys, guys say, you know, in the cold light of day after, especially after a victory, that, well, we, you know, oh, I but that was a priority game ahead of that one but we've got Wednesday night I guarantee you it's the most important game in the whole world on Wednesday night then we've got the League Cup semi-final on Sunday 
nobody, I mean, the, the, nobody, but nobody wants us to do anything other than win that. If we don't get through that, then there'll be hell to pay. So it's kind of hard to say the manager should prioritise when, to be honest, we don't. No, I think it's an old cliche, take one game at a time, and I think uh, I think everybody should should adhere to it, to be honest. I, I think there's there's horses for courses, really, isn't there? There's players that you would play on, on Thursday night um, that you could get away with feasibly not playing on Sunday. Um, I'm thinking guys like uh, Glenn Kamara, possibly Ryan Jack, that you could get away with. Morelos, getting them, getting them a rest if they really need it. Ryan Kent, you, you could get away with the type of game, not necessarily because it comes right after a, a big European game, but the type of game that yesterday should have been, I guess, that you can get away with maybe playing players who are of a slightly different skill set to the guys who need to work really hard and close down and be compact defensively and break forward and transition like we've seen on Thursday night. So it's probably just that. It's probably just different games call for different players, different skill sets, different plans. Um, and you're right, we've got two big games coming up again. Nobody will ex- nobody will accept a, a draw on Wednesday night for a for a win on Sunday, even though you could argue that, that the League Cup is, is the priority. I think everybody just wants to go out and, and win every game um, at this moment. And I think sometimes people try and use logic there in terms of, oh, if he hadn't arrested this person here, we'd have definitely won that game. And like you said, it just doesn't really work like that. No, and uh, that, that's what it comes down to, is that we want to win things. Um, I mean, the league is a priority, right? So I'm, I'm being a little unfair there. But when the the game comes round, if we'd lost 5-0 in Porto, <laughs> we would have exploded. <laughs> it's that simple. And it doesn't do much for the confidence. I also think there's the argument that players, when they're signed, want to play at the top level. And if you're signing players and saying, oh, by the way, you know, you're, you're first in the team sheet against Motherwell, but you can forget playing against Porto and Feyenoord, you're not as an attractive as attractive a club when you're trying to bring in players. So that's that's maybe something to something to remember. Then of course there's a prize money, which is you know stupendous for picking up points and that and that helps us reinvest in the team. So there are a lot of considerations that we as fans maybe don't always have at the forefront of our imaginations when we're when we're discussing this. But we did win. We picked up a terrific point uh, and a great performance on Thursday, and we moved forward confidently into two huge matches. Now, Ross County Wednesday night. Um, a little bit of doubt about the game in case uh, in case of the weather, but if it should go ahead, Adam, um, it's not going to be easy. It's not. They've been doing okay um, since since they came up. Uh, it won't be easy at all. Again, we're obsessed with with team lineups and team formations, like like Stuart McCall, who I'm surprised actually hasn't posted the the team lineup already, given that the game was yesterday. But um, mm. we're obsessed with it, and we're obsessed with these formations and and figuring out who plays best and who doesn't play best. So much so that I think the amount of change in it, we don't actually nobody actually knows what the strongest team is going to be, and we can't actually come up with it. Um, so it, it, you're right. It'll be a tough game. It always is. The, the travel time there can't really be um, discounted. It's it's longer than the flying to Porto um, getting up there. So um, that's a factor too that we need to manage and we need to um, prepare and recover as, as well as we can. Um, and if the weather is the way that it looks, then it becomes a bit of a leveller. Um, and it's just going to be one of these games that we just need to get up there get the win, ideally early doors, get a couple of goals up and um, and see what happens. But they're, they're coming so thick and fast just now. Um, every game, as it always is, is must win. But I think coming into this crunch period before before Christmas, it's very, very hectic and uh, expectations and um, tempers are going to be through the roof, I think. 
Is this the kind of game that you need your Jack Kamara Davis midfield? You need your guys that you know can go in there and get you the ball and battle and scrap and still have the quality to then get you on the front foot? To be honest, I haven't seen anything from any of the other midfielders that suggests they should play ahead of the three of them. Um, and if, Fair point. And if we're going to, as we said earlier in the show, if whatever three midfielders play, they're going to have the same roles regardless, then you may as well play the three that are the, the best at that, as far as I'm concerned. So I would be playing the three of them and I'd be having two two pacey wide men up behind uh, behind Morelos and get Barisic and Tav just hammering, hammering forward. I think that's worked for us um, more often than not since the start of the season. Um, I think we just need to go with that, certainly for, certainly for Wednesday night and possibly for Sunday as well. Can I have a prediction for Wednesday night, please? I'm going to go two 0 Rangers. I'm going to go three one Rangers, and uh, I do think we'll have too much quality, but it's it's not going to be a uh, it's not going to be an easy game. They're going to scrap and fight for their lives and make it difficult, as as Adam said. But I think we will overcome it. I do wonder, Adam, and this is a wider thing, um, but the way that we consume football has changed, obviously, over the last you know ten years or so. And there are a lot of people who will tell you, you know, I, I don't follow football out with Rangers. I don't. I wouldn't watch a live game from another league, maybe the odd English one, but generally speaking. And there are a lot of people who only consume other leagues and other football through their phone, um, maybe just watching clips. And I do wonder if perhaps that's affecting when they come to watch, you know, a 90 minutes at Ibrox, that, that maybe some people are getting highlight culture if you like and maybe expecting that sort of thing because I've spoken to people coming out of a game and they're raging we never made a chance and I'll go well actually we made like eight and that's that's pretty good you know one every kind of ten minutes a good chance that that's not bad and I do wonder if it's maybe just uh, their perception of what football is has has changed because of the way they consume it it's an interesting one because yeah you're, you're spot on what's What's their point of reference? Uh, is their point of reference that that was a poor performance compared to 15 years ago when Rangers beat Motherwell 8-0 and I was at that game and such and such scored the hat-trick? It was rubbish compared to that because it can't be, if they don't watch anything else, they can't be comparing it to Celtic or, or Ajax or, or a team like Burnley or Brighton or whatever down there that maybe play in a different way. They, they can't compare it to anything. They've got no... Research, I guess, really, in terms of other playing styles, they, they're pretty singular and they're, I just watch Rangers and that's it. But if you're just watching Rangers, how do you know what's good and what's not? Is it just mistakes and goals? Is that just your is that just your analysis of it? Is that how you understand the game? I feel like you need to... I'm not saying that you need to broaden your horizons and turn into James and watch 15 to 20 games a week um, from various leagues around the world, but if you isolate yourself just to watching Rangers I don't really understand how you know what good is. Well the other thing about it is, is I've seen that Rangers Motherwell game about 40 times in my life Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? that, that, That's Rangers Motherwell to me uh, a right struggle against uh, a Motherwell side full of dirty bastards that's that's what these games have, have always been generally speaking um, they're, they're not pleasurable to watch um, Tommy McLean of course the, ma- the guy who used the phrase uh, we're not here to provide entertainment um, and, and didn't to be fair to him but uh, I, I just wonder if it is just the way we're consuming things and listen I'm not having to go at anyone who does that because um, I'm like this now I'm so social media um, scarred if you like that I find it difficult to sit and watch you know like a, a, a two hour movie because I get bored and I pick my phone up 
and that is a legacy of the way I consume content, um, that it's changed over the years that I now find it difficult to, to do something that I would do as a matter of course 10 years ago, and it's because of the way I consume drama and content where I'm used to just watching, you know, basically clips of the good stuff. Yep. Um, so when it's not when it's not doing that, um, I'm sort of like, get to the good stuff. You know, like the Joker uh, movie, I won't do any spoilers, but um, all the kind of set-up stuff that people love, I'm like, fucking get, you know, shoot somebody. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's the difference. And that's on me. It's not... Uh, a fall is not a flaw. I'm not having to go at anyone. It just is who I am. Anyway, thank you so much to everyone for joining us this week. Thank you to my guest, the wonderful Adam Thornton. Thanks, David. If you want to hear more from us, you know where to go. Go to uh, patreon.com forward slash heart and hand. That's patreon.com forward slash heart and hand. We'll be back on Thursday with a review of the Ross County game if it took place uh, and uh, a preview of the Hearts match at the weekend. Uh, I believe there are some tickets going up for public sale today, folks, so keep your eyes peeled if you didn't get one for the Hearts match. You you still might be able to uh, and get along and cheer the team at Hamden. Hopefully roll us on to uh, the first final of the Stevie G era. And I'd just like to thank our friends at Five Stars Limited uh, for their support. If you want to check out their event Loads of great Rangers events coming your way. Go to, uh, well, search for Five Stars on Facebook or go to at five numeric five stars LTD on Twitter. Thanks to our executive producers in London, Mike Lee and Paul Myers, and we will be back on Thursday. Until then, have a great week. Take care. Bye bye. Podcast Network.